This is Got Marketing, a podcast with ideas, strategies, and tactics to help small businesses create smarter marketing. I'm Mia Feilman, a professional marketer and the founder of Campaign Del Mar. And in this show, I chat with creatives and strategists about the different aspects of marketing, but without the fluff. Let's dive in. Welcome, friends. Millennials have massive spending power and they don't mind spending freely. So it's no surprise that brands are prioritizing reaching millennials. But winning over millennials can prove to be easier said than done. So it's important to brush up on exactly what makes them different so that we can create marketing campaigns that cater to different markets. This is the chat that I'm going to have today with Amy Voller. She is a marketing strategy and communications professional with experience across multiple industry sectors. Amy's career has spanned over 21 years, working with several highly respected global blue chip organizations and startups in Australia, London, and across Europe. These include Telstra, the Royal Bank of Scotland, British Telcom, and Britax Childcare. Since 2016, though, Amy has run her own business, offering strategic advice and training. She works with women in business to identify and implement growth opportunities. Hello, Amy. Hello, Mia. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. So we met in the One Roof community, which is this epic online membership for female entrepreneurs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, to be honest, it's the most supportive and unique community that I've ever been part of. Same. And you know what's really interesting, and we've already digressed, Amy, (laughs) is that um, One Roof community has experienced exponential growth in the last 12 months. They now have 700 members, but unlike so many other businesses that encounter problems with scaling, I think One Roof just continues to get better, even though they're getting bigger. What an anomaly. I I agree because I think what they've done is tapped into the core needs of their members. You know, what it is that we all need, and they're all different needs, um, and and have a model that really enables them to just serve those needs. And And it just, as you said, keeps growing. Yes, so good. And so many inspiring women in that community, just like yourself. And I just feel empowered being in that space, physical and virtual space all the time. Oh, absolutely. And I agree. It's a very safe space. Totally. All right. Well, then let's dive into our chat, which is all around marketing to millennial women. First things first, who is a millennial, Amy? (laughs) Well, it's interesting, actually, because when you look at, uh, you know, you go to all the different sources, there's the date range that slightly differs. But a millennial is also known as Generation Y as opposed to Generation X, which is me. Um, and it, it's a person essentially born between 1980 and 95 um, and possibly 99. There's overlap between the millennials and Gen Z. Um, you know, in Australia, they account for about six million uh, people and they globally are around 2 billion um, you know give or take depending on the date range this particular generation because we can't really call them a segment and I think that's something that's really important probably to think about it's a it's it's a generation and there are some specific demographic and 
behavioural and attitudinal differences to previous generations and obviously then subsequent generations. Um, but this this group or this generation is really important because they've really they've actually grown up. They're no longer who we used to think of them. Um, a lot of them are, you know, becoming parents in the next ten years. You know, I think eighty percent of them in some way will be parents, and and that definitions or that constructs change too. Um, but also they really have a lot of spending power to, to your point, in, you know, in the introduction. They are now about 30% of retail sales globally and that's only going to grow as obviously they mature and their spending power and, and earning power matures. So that's who they are really these days. Wow. So they're very influential. I just scrape in there, Amy. I'm 1981. <laughs> So, so I'm right in there. I do feel, though, that I identify a bit more with the Gen X generation just because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in there just. <laughs> but they borderline on the, on the horoscopes, right? You can take a bit of both. <laughs> Correct. What's really interesting about millennials, I think, is that they are the last generation to know and remember what life was like before the internet and the gadgets became such mainstream necessities. I remember this at school when we got our first computer and we first had an intranet and then came the internet. I remember a time before Facebook, whereas the Gen Z, the generation that comes after the millennials, they don't know that. that they, they were born as digital natives into a world where Facebook and even Instagram in some cases exists. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's what's so important about understanding generations because ultimately it's the, it's the environment, the societal and technology constructs that make them different as we all, um, uh, you know, as we all age. And, and I think the younger generations, when they're exposed to all of that, ultimately now seem to be leading the way um, in terms of, you know, my generation in a way have caught up because of millennials with technology. So true. Great point. Mm. Okay, so they're important. So how do we go about trying to connect with them? What matters to millennial women? I think it's really important to step back and, and maybe think about what matters to women. And I think that the, you know, as we were just discussing, the reason millennial women uh, are so pivotal is because they've they've had the freedom to be able to voice their, what they need. I think before we didn't have the, you know, the mechanisms with technology and, you know, we've had the Me Too movement. We've had all of these sort of um, massive societal um, or pivotal moments enable women to stand up and be heard. And what's really important to these women is that they're understood. And, and I think that, um, you know, and it's still happening today, even, even with sort of 10 years of um, advertising changes and some brands getting it really right, there are still today quite a lot of messages and images that women are seeing that just doesn't resonate. You know, it's that whole, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Um, and I think a lot of brands keep getting you know, this un misrepresenting women in images and it's not what these women want. So in a way, answering that question, I think we have to really get underneath and understand what's important to millennial women um, because in actual fact, if you get that right, you get it right for all women. Great. So can you give us some examples of 
brands or specific advertisements that you think have misrepresented women? Do any come to mind? Yes. I mean, I suppose some of the ads, um, you know, and this is, but in a way I'll use Nike as a, as a brand because I think in previous times their sportswear ads and images of women um, were always thin, uh, tight-fitting sports gear that nobody had lumps and bumps. They're out there cycling or doing whatever. But that, what that did was alienated and frustrated women because for a start they didn't see themselves in those images. And what's happened over time, and I partly believe, you know, it's because smaller brands and startup brands who've really tapped into that need and actually figured out that women don't want to see images of retouched women uh, they want to see images of all sizes of women. And so you can see the evolution of a brand like Nike showing now and having a range of sizes of their active wear that is accessible to all women. Um, you know, in Australia, there's a brand called Active Truth that I've always, I love. And this was created by two women that just couldn't find products that fit them the way they wanted to. And they've got an entire approach about their images, they don't retouch women. So none of the photographs are retouched. Um, they show real women, you know, whether they're pregnant, whether they're petite, whether they're, you know, disabled, whether they're of any size. And what they did as well is their products were designed, not just with one size or pattern and then scaled up or down, they actually created a pattern for every size. So it really fit women because they listened and they heard and they knew what was important. So, I mean, that's an example of both ends, but I think activewear, um, the beauty brands, you know, really seeing and, and showing they understand the diversity of women, both in terms of size, but in terms of um, race or cultural diversity or, um, you know, any of the things that really represents society today. Those are great examples. Thanks for sharing those. So I spent a few years working for L'Oreal um, in the Maybelline New York team. You know, this is the biggest cosmetic, cosmetics beauty brand in the world. And with Maybelline New York, we used Victoria's Secret supermodels. <laughs> Specifically for most of our campaigns, they mm. were our brand ambassadors. And um, it's so interesting to see that usually the multinational organisations in the past have set the tone for the smaller brands, but that, to your point, has completely changed. And now it's startup brands, you know, going from a place of purpose Yes. and from a place of value that are actually influencing the bigger brands. And now we're seeing, you know, titans like Maybelline re-look at who they align themselves with in terms of brand ambassadors. And now we're seeing a much broader, inclusive spectrum of celebrities that Maybelline New York are using and then influencers as well. Um, and it's really those startup businesses that are that are trailblazing in that way. I, I absolutely agree. And I think, um, you know, I, I had a similar experience. Britax Childcare obviously is a brand that sells to mothers. Um, and obviously today uh, there are some Gen Z mothers coming through, but the dominant number of mothers um, are, are millennials. And I remember having a conversation with um, a European, you know, managing director who just did not, wouldn't believe me 
when even with data, <laughs> because he came from a Procter and Gamble background, and you know well, we know how to do this. We're you know leading in the field of marketing that women didn't want to see images of perfection. They mm. wanted to see reality because in actual fact, we were perpetuating um, an expectation that mothers were meant to be perfect, get back into shape after having their babies and beautifully strolling down streets in perfect clothes behind your fabulous stroller. Um, and that's not actually what these women wanted. So, oh, Gosh, no. The juggle is real, Amy. As an entrepreneur with two young kids and a husband in the military, it's like it's a shit show. So yes. I don't want to have unrealistic ideals shoved in my face and um i know because 99.95 percent of my customers and audience are millennial women that they, they don't want that either absolutely and i think you know to your point that these larger organizations ended up learning from the startups and i think that the diversity also starts in the boardroom and it starts in how the marketing um, teams actually are representative of the population. And I think because if you don't have that diversity, you don't have the understanding and the thinking and the collaborative approach to really being able to address the needs of your customers. Thank you. That's so needed to be said. Thinking back on the team at Maybelline, we were all very pretty young women from top universities, predominantly white, you know, because, you know, we had been, I guess, bred by our, you know, middle and upper class families to put our best foot forward. And we had great work experience, which ended up landing us in these amazing jobs that 3000 people applied for, but there wasn't a lot of diversity in the team. And so how can you have that marketplace of ideas in a boardroom when the people are just not sitting in the room? I agree. And I think you know, very similar. I was one of the only women a lot of the times in um, rooms where we're developing products for women. <laughs> and I think, I don't know if you remember this, it was a couple of years ago, it was even last year, there was some, I think it was a German sort of um, dragon's den. Two men got funding for some idea about pink gloves that um, to help remove a tampon. And it's like they created yes. a product that didn't, that no one needed made it pink for a start and then wanted to, you know, it's just another expense women have to spend <laughs> for something that really shouldn't be an area that men are even deciding what we should or shouldn't be using. So for me, that was just such an example of the fact that we've got so far to go um, in that space. But I think the more we can have these conversations um, and we can share what, what people need, um, and it isn't just advertising it, it goes all the way through so true and yes i remember that example that was absolutely ridiculous gut marketing is brought to you by campaign del mar a marketing education platform for entrepreneurs master the fundamentals of marketing nail your email marketing strategy or join my signature program campaign classroom and learn how to create killer marketing campaigns these are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice. Nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect accountability, a supportive community, and to walk away with practical, real-world marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. So tell me how 
has the pandemic impacted this generation? I mean, I think twofold. One, uh, millennial generation as a whole, because clearly the age and, and the work, you know, they're the predominantly the workforce. And so I think generally the this would be, I suppose, the, the generation that's had the most furlough or those that have been, you know, in Australia probably um, they've been kept on because of JobKeeper initially or they haven't been kept on at some other points. I know in other countries there have been a huge proportion that have been impacted financially. And then women on top of that, I think, you know, any of us with school-aged children could relate whether you're millennial or not. But I think this generation, just given they are, you know, a disproportionate number of parents to school-aged children and mothers, have not only had their industries impacted because women predominantly work in those industries that were closed, so beauty industries, hairdressers, hospitality, retail, um, but then on top of that, we've also been expected and had to juggle homeschooling and the house duties and all of the things that go along with that. And I think that there's been, you know, thankfully we're talking about it, but I do think there's been a hidden toll that we may not really fully appreciate until, you know, the next year or so. And we know there's a mental health impact, um, but I think that just that generation really has probably been hit hard from an economic perspective. I think the Gen Z will be an interesting one just in terms of the impact it's been to those who are still in university or, or early work um, and, and obviously school. Yeah, so it's actually a, there's a term for it now, which is the she session, um, which represents the reversal of decades of economic progress for women which um, in a study that I read has extended the gender pay gap by a further 5%, which is already bad and now devastating because, of course, women were disproportionately affected by the pandemic for those very reasons that you mentioned. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know about your business, but for me, uh, it's exactly been that. I've, I've, I've been huddling in the study nook near my kitchen and having to juggle if I had a client call in and out and running upstairs to help kids with maths. And it, it's been, I'm exhausted. I don't know how, how, how everybody's been able to get through. I mean, we're resilient, but you know. I'm just so grateful that I'm an entrepreneur. Imagine if you had that full-time job and you were being paid a salary and that you know, you you have to be on Zoom at 8.30 in the morning and go until five o'clock and still have client meetings from home with the kids. Whereas I'm, I feel very fortunate that I'm a business owner and that that's the reason why I'm a business owner is I chose my business for flexibility and it has really shown up for me the last two years. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, I mean, I was just, been doing some research um, into some women because obviously what I help with is you know growth um, but then I think it was about 80% of small businesses so far that I've interviewed have had an interruption to their business because of the pandemic whether it's been you know because of the things that we've just talked about or whether it's other issues like supply chains and so forth but I think even as entrepreneurs it's you know, we've had that flexibility, but I think the business as a whole has had an interruption that is, to some of them, been quite significantly um, negative in the financial sense. 
Oh, totally. Imagine you're a photographer or you're in the wedding industry or in the events industry. I mean, I know so many people who've lost their businesses. I've been very fortunate that I teach small business owners how to run marketing. And so I have been even more in demand. But then as a result, it's like, well, I haven't been able to take on more customers because like you, we've got homeschooling, we've got Google Classroom. Gosh, yes. And I think that's the thing. It's to your point, the delay in this gender pay cap being closed, there was a delay in the ability for some of these amazing businesses to grow at the rate that they would have been able to without that. Correct. Mm. Okay. So how do we as brands go about marketing to millennials? I have lots of thoughts on this, but I would love to hear yours too. I think for me, I always go back to that piece about truly understanding the problems or the needs that your brand solves in making your target audience's lives easier. And then from that point, clearly understanding, you know, what's important to them in terms of their, you know, societal issues, uh, environmental factors, um, the way in which they like to need to use technology and at a very starting point, build that into your strategy. Um, And, you know, I think, I think game-changing innovation really only comes from that point and that includes the way in which we communicate. So true. Even though millennials are big spenders, they come with immaculately tuned bullshit detectors. Um, They are digitally savvy, they're hypersensitive to advertising, and so they don't actually buy into or fall for flashy ads or gimmicks. In fact, it's more likely that you're going to drive them away with that kind of BS, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, Celeste Barber, let's take her as an example. What resonates so well with people is that she kind of calls out that bullshit by parroting, you know, these images and this kind of um, portrayal of of non-reality and something that's not attainable to the average woman. And I think that you're absolutely right. It has, you have to be genuine. You can't you can't greenwash your advertising, uh, talk about environmental and how much you're on, on board with col- um, climate change if it actually doesn't flow all the way through everything you do. I so agree. I say this all the time. I think the lowest form of marketing and the, the you know lowest depth of misery is virtue signalling. It really grinds my gears where, you know, brands want to try to culture jack or news jack an issue and try to shoehorn themselves into a conversation that they do not authentically belong in. And you can see that it is just purely for the sake of looking good without any kind of purpose built into their their business or built into their plan. It is literally just for show. And that really, really makes me sad. (laughs) I, I, I agree and I think we've seen it just especially in the last 20 months in a way. I mean, think of what's happened. You've had all of these big political moments. You've had all of not just the pandemic itself but um, and I think all of the brands that have jumped on the bandwagon, you know, as an example with Black Lives Matters where they had nobody representing um, in their board, it was too white. You know, I think that that, it, that, that detector 
that this generation has is just so tuned in. And I think loyalty comes from providing an experience and constantly showing that you align with the, the values and the um, what's expected from the current generation. Yeah, like, okay, so you changed, you put up a black square on your Instagram feed and then what did you do? Mm. Was, was there anything else behind it? Did you, when you were doing your next campaign shoot, did you look at getting um, racial diverse models to be in the campaign? Have you hired anyone from a minority group? Have you donated to any of those groups? Nope, nope. You just literally put up a black square on your Instagram and kept going on about your business and patted yourself on the back. And I actually think it's so inauthentic um, and that this is the reason why it is so hard to earn trust these days. I agree. And I think you know, my, a lot of the things I do is work at the product level, you know, really getting that product to be something that a customer either buys once and then shouts about because they want to tell everybody else. And especially when you're working with women, I think women before social media were the original social media. And I think that you've got to be genuine even at that level. You can't, you know, put a plastic item that's not recyclable in a risk. I mean, the recyclable box is the first step, but you've got to be on a journey um, and you need to communicate that. Um, so, yes, I absolutely agree. And millennials are taking action. They're, they're voicing their discontent with brands like this. So, for example, millennials are leaving Facebook in droves. This is especially true since the Trump political campaign and the Cambridge Analytica Facebook scandal, and um, they are migrating away from politically charged Facebook feeds to the aspirational, image-friendly, safer space of, say, Pinterest, which has banned political advertising. There is no gambling. There is no hate speech. There is no racism on Pinterest and even Instagram to a lesser degree. But they are taking action. They're not just saying that they don't like this. They're actually voting with their, their feet and with their pockets. And I think as parents of the next generation of, um, you know, future consumers, I think we've seen what, what negative impact those sort of platforms have because of the cultural um, approach. And it's, it's about it, the commercial side is so far um, in front of what they do versus what the end customer actually wants. And I agree with you. I mean, um, you know, I think it'll be fascinating to see how that evolves, and especially with the rebranding of Meta to Meta. I mean, you can rebrand yourself, but you can't rebrand away from your reputation. I think that's just so fascinating to see what's going to happen there. Are they going to become the Nokia of the next evolution? I don't know. Well, a wolf in sheep's clothing is still a wolf. Yes. <laughs> right. So we mentioned earlier that millennials don't trust traditional advertising and instead are really motivated and influenced by product feedback and reviews. This really influences their shopping behaviour. In fact, 60% of millennials are impacted by product reviews and 70% of millennials prefer endorsements 
by their peers versus celebrities. And this is something that I've been banging on about for the last 18 months, but brands today who are wanting to reach millennial audiences need to be building user-generated content campaigns. They need to be getting all of that incredible user data, reviews, testimonials, shout-outs, mentions, and turning that into their marketing because it is so much more authentic and so much more believable than brand-led advertising. I couldn't agree more. And I think when I've seen what's happened just even in the mother marketplace in the sense of all the products that you buy when you're very first it's a you know it's a whole new experience when you become pregnant you come into contact with brands you'd never have noticed before and most of the purchase decisions are made by asking recommendations from other mothers i think i think the brand itself rates third or fourth down the list so Um, true it is and that is why the experience the quality of the product the way in which that after service Um, is delivered is also so important to getting repeat purchase from millennials. Exactly. The whole customer journey for, for most brands now, they pay for the product before they even get it if they're shopping online. And so we need to be considering what happens after the purchase. The, the customer journey doesn't end with the purchase, but in some cases it, it only just begins because then you've got to get the product or the service and then you've got to experience it and then evaluate it. And all of that happens after the customer has parted with their money. Absolutely. And even managing complaints well can mm. drive loyal customers. And I don't think that there's enough thought about, as you said, the entire customer journey. Yes. The other thing that's really interesting, um, and this is maybe why I feel I identify more with Gen X than Gen Y or the millennials, is just how much they love their influencers and how motivated they are by influencers, which I'm not actually all that into. But I think that if you are a brand that markets to millennial customers, that and especially if you are in the beauty, fashion, lifestyle, food space, you need a social media influencer strategy. Absolutely. And I think that when we think of influencers, they don't have to be people who have millions of followings like your Kardashians. The micro-influencer in some respects actually can be more credible because it's it's how engaged they are with the content and how transparent and honest they are with how they they choose the brands that they wish to then partner with. That is a really good point. Yes, you're totally right that we, when I, I think we need to reimagine what an influencer is. It's not necessarily a 25-year-old doing yoga in her G-string on Instagram. It could be, um, yeah, somebody with a, a micro, even nano following but that has influence over their audience. I guess I just love collaboration so much that I would just naturally be more inclined towards a brand-to-brand collaboration than I would to to an influencer. But as a marketer, I know how powerful they are. Absolutely. It It is something that we just can't. And I think in a way this comes back to the whole evolution of marketing and understanding whilst the core principles really haven't changed it's the way in which you then execute that needs to evolve just like continuing to understand the customer and the environment in which you're targeting 
these people and what's important to them because it will always evolve. Right. So traditionally, the way that we used to segment audiences was with demographics, you know, women, 35 plus, earning 70 grand a year living in Melbourne. And that is actually not a good way to segment target audiences anymore because you could take two 35-year-old women living in Melbourne earning $70,000 a year who are going to differ substantially when it comes to their values, to their beliefs, to their purchase behaviours. So instead, we need to use psychographic and behavioural targeting to segment our audiences. And that has never been more important because millennial women today demand, not just expect, demand that the brands that they choose to invest with align with them on values. Absolutely. And I think even to the point where the traditional way of doing market research, to your point, um, and taking the easy route and just getting demographics. I think also we really need to be able to walk in the shoes of our target audience and really understand um, what problems we're solving for them. How are we making their lives easier or better? How are we helping them feel better? Exactly. And there are some brands who are doing this incredibly well where it's it's not virtue signaling and it's not um, just for the, the purposes of show. And, you know, some of those examples are like Who Gives a Crap and mm-hmm. Zero Waste Co. and even Tom's Shoes where, you know, making the world a better place has been built into their brand strategy. It is not a bolt-on. It's not an afterthought. It drives the whole premise of their business. And I think that's what's key. And even for small businesses who, you know, even startups, you know, having that understanding that your brand strategy is everything you do. It isn't just the external imagery that you project. So true. A brand is not a logo. Yes. <laughs> um, so cause marketing is really important to millennials, especially if it comes from a place of authenticity. And then the other thing that is a little bit more tactical in terms of how to market to millennials is that they just freaking love videos. They love them. Um I think because they're busy, they are mums, they're working mums. A lot of them are leaving the workforce, corporate careers to start businesses. There has been an absolutely exponential increase in the number of new businesses in Australia, even during the pandemic, with so many women fed up with the corporate, you know, rigmarole that they're starting their own businesses. And so they're busy and they don't have time to read your 22-minute sales page and instead want to watch your two-minute video or your 30-second Instagram reel. And I think what's also important to add to that is, you know, when we're scrolling and busy, a lot of people, I think it's a, the stat was quite high, around 70 to 80% don't watch with sound. So you need to have, you know, the text over your video um, to make sure that you're capturing those people too because we're all looking to snack of content. So true. That is a great point. All right. So to wrap up our chat today, Amy, which has been such a good one, thank you. I think some of the takeaways are that millennial women are well-informed and they make decisions wisely. So don't try to trick them. Instead, 
show that you care by providing what really matters to them and make sure that you align with their values and meet them where they are. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that, Amy? I think I probably said it a few times, but for me, it's also make sure that your offer, whether it's a physical product or a service, really does actually address a need or solve a problem because that is, you know, people want experiences these days. They don't just want to buy things. That is so true. Sell your story and not the product or the service. Um, That is a great Great, great, great way to end. So I really appreciate your time today. How can people get in touch with you? Um, people can have a check me out on my website. So it's amyvoller, A-M-Y-V-O-L-L-E-R.com and um, reach out to me on Instagram as well. So it's amy.voller. And I'm always open and happy to chat to anybody, obligation-free. My goal is really just to help women in business grow their product and services. Amazing. And you recently launched a podcast. So I did. Tell us a little bit about that. So my podcast is called Thrive and Grow. So essentially, um, a little bit like you, Mia, I want to share a lot of the tips and tricks, uh, mistakes and successes that I've had along my 21-year journey, and also to talk to other wonderful people out there that can share expertise that I don't have that will help businesses um, employ strategies to grow for themselves. Great. Awesome. Well, everyone check that out. And thank you again, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not press that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? You can also connect with me, Mia Feilman, on Instagram or LinkedIn, And feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.